Premier Christian Newscast. Hello and welcome to Premier Christian Newscast. I'm Tim Wyatt and this week we're exploring a slightly underreported but actually quite significant change in how the law deals with protest and dissent. Starting in 2018, a number of English councils have began using anti-social behaviour legislation to create buffer zones around abortion clinics. These zones ban anyone from protesting, singing, holding placards, expressing an opinion or even praying. Despite murmurings of protest from pro-life groups, the pro-choice movement has now won backing in Parliament for a nationwide buffer zone law which has also been picked up in Northern Ireland and Scotland too. In recent months, a number of Christian pro-lifers have been arrested, fined and taken to court for what they allege was simply silent prayer in their heads that happened to be close to an abortion clinic. Are these laws a proportionate attempt to deal with harassment and intimidation at anti-abortion vigils, or do they go too far in trying to legislate away any right to hold pro-life beliefs and act on them? This week, we're joined by Sam Hales and Emma Fowle from the Premier Christianity team to discuss where these buffer zones are coming from and what they might mean for the future of the church's engagement in the abortion debate. Well, thanks very much for joining us, Sam and Emma. Uh, you, everyone listening will be familiar with Sam and Emma from the Premier Christianity team. Um, uh, today we wanted to talk about uh, the kind of knotty, contested issue of buffer zones around abortion clinics, um, which uh, have been kind of sporadically introduced by a few councils over the last years, but is now um, the government is currently legislating to try and bring them in nationwide. Um, I was interested to start by asking kind of when did you guys first become aware of this as an issue? When did you first start covering it? Do you recall because it seems like until a few years ago, no one was really talking about this idea, certainly not in the UK anyway. Yeah, I think the first time um, we, we covered it was um, when the Bournemouth zone was um, first proposed. And I think that was the mid last year, wasn't it, Sam? So before that, we, you know, we, like you say, hadn't really come across it. And suddenly there was this proposal from Bournemouth Council and it was just a proposal. And we had a couple of people contact us and say, hey, you know, have you, have you heard about this? Then that, that obviously was passed. And then an, another couple were put into place, I think, in London. And then this one in Birmingham has been, been the latest one. But, but like you say, on, in the background, there's also been this issue that th- there's been moves in Scotland to bring it into law and then now in the UK as part of the public order bill. So it's suddenly become really quickly, it seems. And I don't know if this has got anything to do with Roe versus Wade or this, the, the, the upscale in the debate about abortion generally that came off the back of that. But suddenly it's gone from being you know something we haven't talked about at all and to, to something that there seems to be a really, really big issue across the board yeah the the earliest that we spoke about this would have been back in 2018 and then the headline was that um, we were being reassured that the government would not be introducing these buffer zones but back in 2018 very few people were talking about them as emma says this year or in 2022 into 2023 it's actually been all over the news it's become massively prominent and the government are looking to move towards legislating which is going to according to some christian campaigners effectively ban prayer if you're stood in certain places in the country namely outside of abortion clinics hmm. 
I started looking back to try and figure out where this whole kind of story came from. And, and it seems that the very first one was was actually in Ealing in West London. And that was set up in 2018. So only, you know, four, just over four years ago. And um, what is fascinating is that it was it was done using legislation that's actually was passed to target kind of antisocial behavior. So, so a law in 2014 gave councils this this ability to create what's called a public space protection order, which was supposed to be kind of targeting kind of pockets of, of antisocial behavior, maybe in a particular park or a town square where people were persistently doing stuff. And you could kind of create a time limited, say, you know, if you're in this space with a spray can, because there's lots of graffiti you're not allowed or something like that. Um, and that I thought, so it's quite, it was quite a kind of novel use of it to create the idea of these, of these abortion um, kind of protest buffer zones and it all came from basically a group of uh counter protesters so there'd, there'd long been protest outside this clinic in ealing and then a bunch of, of pro-choice people started kind of counter protesting um and and I, I found something written by one of them online which said um you know we, we were we made we were able to to block the clinic users views of the protesters and vice versa but we couldn't drown out the sound of their anti-choice chants prayers and songs and so that's when they started to petition the council, which um, effectively banned any kind of protest within a hundred meters, and then it's kind of rolled on and on from there. But as you say, Sam, what is creating kind of waves? I suppose is is the idea that this is not just uh, banning kind of intimidation or harassment, or you know, you know, the kind of classic thing you might hear sometimes about you know, abortion clinic staff being called baby killers as they go home from work at the end of the day, but it's actually incredibly wide powers, um, which some people are saying is is going to, in effect, make it impossible to just be in a place and, and pray silently in your head. Yeah, I think that's the point, isn't it? Um, we had... Um... A piece written for us when when the Bourne, when Bournemouth Council were considering bringing into um, the, the the ban in Bournemouth, and it was interesting the the way that Bournemouth Council worded that um, was that, that it was necessary, and this is a, a quote, to protect the staff and visitors who have been affected by the behaviour of those who congregate and hold vigils and protest outside. So it kind of like, you know, in, in many of these cases, a lot of Christians are saying, well, it's being made out that that there are people outside, outside abortion centres who are um, harassing and intimidating or verbally abusing or all of those sorts of things. And, and what a lot of people are saying is, well, we've already got laws that should protect against that behaviour and nobody wants to see anybody, and certainly not a Christian, harassing someone and, and, and making that time in someone's life, which is already hugely stressful and deeply upsetting, worse. But at the same time, if we already have laws to adequately deal with that kind of antisocial protesting type of behaviour, do we need additional laws that ban everything else, including the prayers that you might say silently in your own head? And I think that's this is the thing that's that's really got Christians agitated, is this idea, like, we ran a piece in August and the headline was, think praying in public could never be banned in the UK, question mark. And, and everybody was kind of like, of course this will never happen, this sounds like communist China. And now we know, obviously, that two people have actually, actually been arrested for praying silently inside their heads, or allegedly doing so um, inside these new protection zones and that's kind of I think quite weird for people who live in the UK to think about 
And some of the video clips that have been doing the rounds on this really are quite remarkable because you have police officers walking up to people in the street and saying, what are you doing? And the person saying, I'm praying silent in my head. And then effectively, the police under this, some of this legislation that's that's either in place locally or could be in place nationally, effectively, that police officer having to take action against that person for the offence of praying silently in their head. Yeah, so so there's one of these cases was in... Um was last late last year uh, a woman called Isabel Vaughan Spruce was uh, outside um, an abortion clinic in in Birmingham um, when she was uh, kind of approached by police officers uh, and subsequently arrested and the police said she was arrested for and charged with four counts of failing to comply with the public space protection order um, we're unfortunately quite limited in what we can say about that case because um, it, she is it's due to appear in Birmingham magistrates court imminently um, uh, but there was a second case um, in, in Bournemouth, actually, where you said where uh, um, a Christian uh, man called Adam Smith Connor uh, said he was just stood still and silent on the street, uh, had his back towards the uh, the clinic um, in order to, to not kind of appear intimidating um, uh, and told police officers when he was approached that he was praying uh, for his son um, who uh, 22 years earlier, he, he said that he had paid his girlfriend to have an abortion, uh, which he now kind of bitterly regrets. Um, uh, but because the the um, uh, the uh, the public space protection order in, in Bournemouth effectively criminalizes any act of disapproval uh, to of abortion services, which includes prayer, he was um, ultimately fined um, by the council. Um, he's now challenging that in the court. So clearly, this is not just a kind of hypothetical, as you say. This is not just a kind of, you know, Christian persecuted and charities whipping up angst and fear. This is actually happening on the streets of Britain. People are being arrested, in some cases charged, in some cases fined for for what doesn't appear, as far as we can tell, to be overtly intimidatory or, or harassing. Yeah, and it also begs the question: the kind of like, can it just be any prayer? Like, what happens if you're just standing there and you're praying about? I don't know something else if the if the police approach you and say are you praying and you answer yes does it matter like you know does it does it have to be specifically related to abortion issues or you know this guy said he was praying for his his dead son like that doesn't seem to me to be something that you should be prosecuted for wherever you are Yes, and I think in that instance, the, the, as you say, the police officer specifically asked, what are you praying about? Which, again, we have to pause there and say, how have we got to that point where it's anyone else's business, frankly? But but nevertheless, the question was asked, and I think you're right, Emma, that question was asked because it was relevant to whether that person uh, could be in trouble or not. And this idea of a, of a dead son, I think, you know, the police officer was making their connections thinking, OK, maybe this was your son who you regret aborting and, and it led to action. But, you know, th this is the thing that it is there in black and white. I mean, the Bournemouth poster that says the following activities are prohibited Monday to Friday, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. within this area. And it says protesting and then it defines it namely engaging in an act of approval slash disapproval with respect to issues related to abortion services by any means and then it goes on this includes let's list a few things and then prayer or counseling so they're saying that if you are praying in that space and you are praying any prayer related to abortion that could be seen as protesting which again a christian would 
I think we complete within their rights to say, no, this is not protesting. This is prayer. And there are two very different things. But according to this legislation, your prayer, if it is about abortion, even if it's silent in some cases, can be viewed by the authorities as protest. And then you are breaking this law. Um, and, you know, it, it's unsurprising that every pro-life group you can name is up in arms over this because and actually not just Christian pro-life groups. You know, there are those who have concerns about freedom of expression and freedom of speech in our laws. Some of those are Christians, some of them aren't. And they're saying this is this is massive overreach that's actually telling people what they can and can't say, think and pray. And that can't be right in a democracy would would be their argument. Now, on, on the flip side, you have those who say, well, hang on, there's a context here. And you might have seen a little clip during the rounds online of someone being arrested. And it looks like they're being arrested for praying. But what's the context before that camera was switched on? Were they shouting at people? Were some of these vigils um, not so silent, but actually were intimidatory? And I think that's that's where the debate is. We have to remember that these buffer zones weren't just invented overnight. They arose out of a context that some would argue there was a context here of Christians and others behaving in ways that were seen as harassment or intimidation. And that was the need then for these buffer zones is the argument that some are making. Yeah, but the, but the point remains, though, that, you know, according to the law, we do have existing laws that can deal with harassment and, and, and violent acts and aggressive acts. So, you know, for me, that doesn't really hold sway, even if there were problems, if there were behavioural problems. They sh for me, they should have been dealt with under existing law, not introducing wide sweeping um, new things that, that massively infringe on things that might be going on inside our head. Premier Christian Newscast. Premier Christian Newscast. Yeah, I mean, when you look at some of the accounts of of the things that the the pro choice side are saying they're trying to stamp out, it's things like you know, allegedly they have sometimes uh, people are attending this abortion clinics or counter protesters have had holy water thrown over them, or they've been called murderers or told that they were going to hell. And as you point out, Emma it's quite straightforward to see how all of those things could be prosecuted under well long established kind of public order legislation, which, you know, means you're not allowed to, you know, deliver verbal abuse to someone in the street or, or effectively assault them, even if it is only with a, with holy water. Uh, and what is particularly concerning, I think to many people is when you look at how this is now kind of spreading from, you know, council by council, but now, uh, the House of Commons, uh, well, first it was Northern Ireland, actually, the Northern Irish Assembly voted through legislation which would cover all abortion clinics in Northern Ireland um, in in March this year. And it was actually delayed into coming into force unusually and, and referred by the Westminster government to the Supreme Court to check if it kind of disproportionately interfered with the rights to protest. And the Supreme Court ruled in December that it did not. So that's going to come into force soon. Uh, Nicola Sturgeon in, in Scotland has said that she's uh, wants to legislate similarly in Scotland and in England, uh, the House of Commons passed a law um, again in October, a cross party uh, uh, amendment to a, another public order bill, um, which would create 150 metre buffer zones around all abortion clinics. And, and that's currently working through to the House of Lords. But I had a look at the legislation and it and it's clear that it doesn't just tackle, you know, stuff that we might all agree is objectionable, like throwing holy water at someone or or, or calling them a murderer or whatever. Um, it says um, 
you know, anyone who's in a buffer zone and and who interferes with a person's um, decision to access, provide, or facilitate abortion services is guilty. And then it goes on. How do you define interfere? Uh, one of them is seeks to influence, advises, or persuades, or otherwise expresses an opinion, or informs, or attempts to inform about abortion services. So really, what we're saying is, it's not about chanting. It's not about jostling. It's saying anyone who is within 150 meters will be guilty of a criminal offense if they express any opinion about abortion or attempt to inform about abortion services. You know, in theory, on the letter of this, I'm not a lawyer, but it seems to say that if the abortion clinic itself had a a placard, a poster outside saying, you know, you can get an abortion in these circumstances, that would be a criminal offense because that's informing about abortion services. So when you read the the actual text legislation, it's quite clear to see why this is upsetting quite a lot of people even beyond your kind of usual pro-life voices yeah and that that ban that you well, the text that you've read out sounds to me like a black and white ban on freedom of expression it's specifically saying you cannot express an opinion in this 150 meter space opinions cannot be expressed on this particular subject which again you think yeah it is an emotive and difficult topic very painful for a lot of people and we have to be pastorally sensitive to all that but at the, at the same time from a legal perspective can it ever be right for a government to say in this 150 meter zone, you cannot express an opinion? And so this is why we've seen people take up this particular cause who are not Christians, but care very much about the rights of Christians and others to express what they believe and groups who are concerned about a kind of crackdown on freedom of expression or freedom of, of religion. I think a right to be concerned when, when you hear texts like that, it does, uh, I think it's very difficult to defend. Hmm. Yeah, I agree. And I don't think it's good for women either. And I, you know, I hope I, like, I can be the voice that says that as the token woman on, on this podcast, <laughs> you know, I, I was, I was just reading a piece that was, was written for us a little while ago. And it, and it quotes a BBC poll that said that one in 10 women that have had an abortion were coerced into it in some, some regard by family members or partners or things like that. So, for, you know, it's worth remembering that not everybody um, goes to an abortion centre 100% sure that they're making the right decision. And I wouldn't mind, to be honest, if if places like BPAS did offer counselling or offered signposting to other resources or, or provided more support, quite frankly, to make sure that women were sure that they were making the right decision before they did something that was so life-altering as, as have an abortion. And, for, you know, for many pro-lifers, that's that's a lot of the point. They they want to say, do you know what? We want to be here to offer an alternative if you are a woman who is going to have an abortion because you feel there is no other choice, perhaps because you don't have the income or the family support or you don't know where to turn or you don't know what benefits you should be. You know, there are lots and lots of different reasons and some of them are quite practical ones. And in, in many instances, where else are people going to access that information if someone is not allowed to hand out a leaflet or stand quietly with a poster or, or something that, that to, to treads some kind of middle line between hurling abuse at people and not being allowed within 150 metres. For me, I just think in a civilised democratic society, we should be able to come up with a, a better solution that, you know, that isn't one polar or the other. 
Yeah, and I think there's, it's worth zooming out a little and thinking about what does this do for the overall public debate on abortion in this country, which, you know, is still a live one. You know, we're, we're, it's clear that we're not the United States, you know, we're not nearly as polarised. There is broad public support, particularly across political parties, for legal abortion in this country. But I think it's it's hard not to suggest that this, the national legislation it is going to have a chilling effect because we are effectively saying it's not that there are two legitimate views that there is a majority view and a minority view and, and we're having a discussion around it. It's saying there is a view, which is fine, and there is another view, which we will begrudgingly tolerate, but only outside of these zones or within these demarcated lines or in this format. And I think regardless of your own view on the abortion question, whether it's right for the government to legislate to effectively chill the whole debate on abortion seems, yeah, seems highly questionable at best. I think it's going to be interesting to see if there might be protests about this protest. And what I what I mean by that is this law is going to have to be tested at some point. And it, it really would not surprise me if, as we speak, there are some British pro-life groups saying, well, what if we email our entire mailing list and say, you know, at 10 a.m. on Saturday or whenever it is, go and stand outside this particular abortion clinic. Do not say a word. Do not take any banners. Don't do anything apart from pray in your head. And let's see if the police have the capacity to arrest 200 of us. You know, it, would, it wouldn't surprise me if this law is is quite deliberately tested by some of the campaigners on this who feel so strongly. And I can mm. think of a lot of Christians who actually, I can think of a lot of Christians who would never attend an abortion vigil, would never naturally want to pray outside of uh, an abortion clinic for all sorts of different reasons. But I can think those same Christians would feel very strongly that also that the government has no right to ban me from praying silently in my head in a street corner. And I think people like that might be tempted to, to let's test the law. Let's, uh, you know, let's get into the civil disobedience debate of actually when is it right for Christians to, to break the law on a, on a point of moral principle. And I do actually think this is one of those. I, I don't think I'm overstating it. I, I think this is an issue people are going to feel very deeply and, and care very much about. And, you know, in dialoguing with other Christians on this, one of the things that's come through is I have heard some Christians say, well, but come on, Sam, it doesn't matter where I pray. My prayer is no more effective outside the board. What's the big deal? And and theologically, I want to say you're absolutely right. Theologically, it doesn't matter where you pray. God hears you. But that's kind of not, not the point here. I think there's a there's a political freedom of expression point, which is just because theologically I can pray to God where I like doesn't give the government the right to tell me where I can and can't pray. So I think I think this law is going to be tested. And I'm interested to see if some of these organized groups, you know, organize a kind of test of this law and, and really kind of fight, fight back, really, by sending a load of people to these places and saying, all right, police, are you really going to try and arrest 200 of us for silently praying in our heads? Um, because I, I, I do think that, again, regardless of the rights and wrongs of the debate and where you stand, most people can can see how how this is breaching a freedom of expression and whether you're religious or christian or not i think there's something in most people that say that's not right the government doesn't have a right to tell me where i can and can't pray it's interesting you mentioned that it could almost have the unintended consequence of kind of radicalizing maybe the kind of soft pro-life uh, constituency in this country many of whom might be christians I wonder, do you think the other side has also been radicalized by what's happening across the Atlantic and the, Ro the end of Roe v. Wade and, and the kind of the ferocity of the debate that's now unfolding state by state in, this, in the United States? Do you think that is playing into why, seemingly almost out of the blue, a few years ago, basically no one in this country was talking about or cared about the longstanding and very small kind of abortion vigils that were, that were commonplace? 
and now it's a national legislative priority. Do you think that is because the pro-choice side have been radicalized by the American kind of experiment that, that we're observing? Yeah, I think it's definitely played into it. I think um, you've, we've seen it very strongly in the states, haven't we? As soon as they could, certain states have moved to move things into law one way and the other, depending on the, the demographic of that particular state. So the pro, I think the pro-life movement um, have as strongly as the pro-choice movement probably just thought, oh my goodness, we need to we need to encode this in law. We need to protect our rights. And I think part of that has come across to the UK. I think it's also reflective of the way we're moving on several issues, whether that's conversion therapy, um, you know, like there's just, I don't know, there just seems to be less room to almost leave it to common sense and allow people to have an opinion and suddenly everything has to be codified into law and we must protect this right we must protect this freedom and it it, I'm not sure I like the way that's going because uh, like Sam said you you kind of you know you would have thought like the the thought of the government being able to tell me that I cannot utter a prayer in a certain place would seem ludicrous and now suddenly that that's a very real um possibility and I don't think people have thought through the ramifications of what that is actually going to look like for us and our freedoms and I wonder at what point people will start I know it did happen a little bit with Scotland whether the the European Court of Human Rights got involved and and took a look at the Scottish law and at one point I don't know where that went whether they they ruled in the end that they could or couldn't make it into law but I think people will start to test that and they will start to push that and, and, and take court action as far as they can in order to fight their cause if they feel they have to. Have you been surprised or even disappointed at the kind of maybe the lack of response from the church? Uh, Because from what you're saying, and I think I agree, it it tips over from just being a question about where you stand on abortion to a question about broader religious freedoms and religious expression. And to what extent do we have the right as Christians in this country to to exercise our faith, you know, in public? Would you would you like to see maybe kind of church groups that aren't really engaged in the abortion debate? step up to this and say this is actually a bigger story about religious freedom yeah i think i have been quite surprised that i I don't believe the issue has got quite as much traction as it deserves and there'll be a few different reasons for that i do think there's a lesson for christians here and something i i feel quite strongly about is choosing your battles and you know it is true that in my personal opinion sometimes as christians we can be a bit quick on the religious freedom my rights arguments um and, and, you know, sometimes there have been cases where on first glance, it looks like, wow, a Christian has been discriminated. And you sort of peer back behind the murky details. You think, actually, was this person putting themselves in a bit of an unwise position in their workplace, for example? You know, not every case of religious freedom, in my opinion, is, is one that needs to be fought in the courts, for example. And I just wonder if sometimes that damages us a little bit. It's the, the boy who cried wolf. You know, if there's too many of those cases where actually... Frankly, as Christians, we're bringing some of this stuff on ourselves by not being very wise in the secular world. And when there is a genuine case of this is our freedom, we need to protect it. I think some of the Christian community roll their eyes a bit and think, oh, it's another one of those. I don't personally think this is another one of those. I think this one's actually really key, really important. I think Christians should be campaigning on it. I think Christians should be worried about it. You know, and, and I'm not normally a fan of the slippery slope arguments, but if the government can ban you in this particular geographical case from from silently praying, then what does that open the door to, really? So, as you can tell, I feel quite strongly on this one, but I, I don't think it's got as much traction as it as it deserves. But there'll be many reasons for that. I don't know if you've got views yourself, Tim, on why that might be. It's a mystery sometimes how some stories capture the public mood and others don't. 
I think it's interesting. We ran a piece in the magazine um, probably 18 months ago called Why is the Church Silent on Abortion, which was before all of this kicked off. And, and in that we were talking about, you know, like, yeah, is this just an issue that's just a little bit icky and no one likes to engage with it? And it and it probably is. It's a very sensitive one. You know, we have to recognise that the majority of the churches in the UK are still largely met, led by men. And I shouldn't imagine there are many male leaders who want to get up on a Sunday morning and wade into the topic of abortion. Um, people don't like to talk about it. If you are a Christian, you've had an abortion. It's, it's not likely you're going to be chatting about that to your mates very easily. There's still a lot of shame around the subject. It's very hard to talk about. It's really sensitive that, you know, it's it's a minefield. Um, and in the article, we said that, you know, the church absolutely needs to get better about talking about it for everybody's sake. Um, but it is hard. And I wonder if because we haven't done it well historically, now all this stuff is kicking off. We're kind of a bit on the back foot and we don't really know how to sort of catch up. How are we talking about this? What's our message? What do people think and believe? Um, and when you get those huge issues that are sort of a long way from culture it becomes very difficult you feel as a christian you know as an ordinary everyday christian perhaps under equipped to fight those battles with your school friends with your work colleagues with your family you know you might have different views that from the people around you and those people feel those views very strongly and it i guess that's where you know people like us come in really because that's our job to try to help equip people to have those conversations in a way that is intelligent and compassionate um, and meaningful and sort of doesn't create more division but but still sort of stands up for the gospel truth but it is hard i think when we probably haven't done it as well as we should have done for quite a long time yeah i would i would 100% agree with that emma i think as you say it's an issue which British Christians on both sides of the, wherever you land, I think, feel deeply uncomfortable about talking. And, and in the same way that that I think some of the kind of, you know, secular pro-choice activists are very much reacting to America, I think some of the church reacts to America in the other way. And we say, oh, you know, those crazy pro-lifers in America, you know, they're shooting abortion doctors and they're, you know, picketing outside uh, clinics and calling people murderers and holding up placards of aborted fetuses. That's so not us. That's not British. That's just over. That's just not us. And and understandably in some cases, but I think it has led to a real reticence and an awkwardness about the topic. And so I think a lot of people might see, you know, a headline, abortion clinic, buffer zone, ban, decried as attack on religious freedom. And they're like, you know what, I'm just not going to go there. And I wouldn't be surprised if this is really in the way that, to be honest, it almost had for me until I started researching for this podcast, that legislation is unbelievably sweeping. When I was reading the actual text of it, I was like, if this was about another issue, an issue that had genuine kind of like 50-50, the public could go two ways, it would be an enormous story that the government is basically picking aside in an issue of public debate and determining when and when you're allowed to disagree with it. But because it's abortion and everyone's like, you know, awkward, painful, confusing, um, we we steer clear. And I think in this case, it probably has, with churches, kind of done society a disservice by not waking up to the the broader mm. ramifications of, of this of this issue and, and trying to kind of wade in, in a, as you say, in a compassionate and a thoughtful way, but it, not just kind of putting their head in the sand. Yeah, and I think that's what Sam was kind of saying, wasn't it, really, with the public um, order bill, like the, the wide-ranging ramifications do not just apply to Christians and abortion. They, they, you know, include anything, basically, that a government at some point in time may not like, you know, 
can we pro- where can we protest what can we say when we protest what do those protests look like how do we um object to things like you know that it's so wide ranging that you could argue maybe that the church is doing wider the wider civil society a disservice in not piping up on the issues that affect us in order to perhaps galvanize everybody else to realize oh this might impact the way i you know what if i want to protest about the environment or what about the protest that went through parliament the other day in, in support of the iranian women you know what if someone decides they don't want that to happen in the future it's so wide-ranging it, it covers so many different freedoms i'm i'm surprised more people aren't shouting about it to be honest yeah and it's one of these fascinating examples of how abortion is kind of kind of through the looking glass world because you know you have this law being kind of cheered into into force by a bunch of by largely by a bunch of um uh, particularly on all sides of the house but particularly by by kind of left-wing kind of progressive labor mps who in the next breath will be decrying the government's other legislation which is tackling protesters you know a lot of the stuff that they're passing to try and target just stop oil and extinction rebellion uh which is of a, of a piece, you know, it's about hedging in protest and saying these are the types of approaches that are allowed and this is one that's not allowed. And some people have argued, you know, have quite concerning ramifications for freedom of expression and, and you know, the same MPs, you know, left-wing MPs w- will be, would be definitely upset about that. Yeah. And yet on this issue, it's, it's been, you know, cheered to the rafters. So it's certainly one which is kind of discombobulating people in all, in all sorts of ways and unexpected ways and one to follow for the future. Any, any last thoughts, Sam? I couldn't have put it better myself, uh, Tim and Emma. Yeah. And, and and really, for me, the point to underline is it's not an abortion issue for me. It is, a, it is a freedom of speech, a freedom of expression issue. And I think you're right. When it's framed like that, it will probably, it will probably get the attention it deserves when you frame it as a religious freedom or a freedom of expression issue and not an abortion issue. Well, we'll keep an eye on it and see how it um, how it progresses. Um, thanks, as always, for coming on and for your analysis and your thoughts, Emma and Sam. It's great to have you on the show. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Um, we'll speak to you again next week. Bye-bye. That's it for this week's Premier Christian Newscast. But if you've enjoyed what you've heard, please do leave us a review on whatever podcast app you use. And why not also tell a friend about the show? Don't forget to also subscribe to the podcast on your phone or tablet to ensure that you receive each episode automatically sent to your device week by week. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Premier Christian Newscast. 